Hello, this is James Grumman with Decentralized.media on my show, Unrestricted Warfare. i got a very special guest, first-time guest ever, even from my old old uh, network. His name's Ian Ferguson. He's deep into the occult, understanding the, the language, the science, symbology, iconography. We will bring him on in a moment. But first, I want to play a little video, because I like to start off always with videos, because they are sometimes self-explanatory and sometimes they are not. God did not warn him or instruct him on how to build the ark. Lucifer, aka Enki, did. I'm not sure where this idea came from that Lucifer is the Sumerian deity Enki, but it is such a conjecture. Lucifer is a Latin word that means light bringer, and it is used to translate one word that only shows up once in the Hebrew Bible, and that's in Isaiah 14:12. The chapter is talking about the downfall of the king of Babylon, but it's describing it in a way that seems to parallel a prior divine rebellion. Because of this, scholars like Michael Heiser have argued it's also talking about when Satan was cast out of heaven. And because in the Latin, the word for daystar is Lucifer, theologians began associating Satan with that name. But there is nothing in Isaiah 14 directly connected with anything surrounding the mythology of Enki. Nor is there anything about Enki in Sumerian mythology that sounds like the daystar's fall from Isaiah 14. And this is probably why I can't find one biblical scholar or a seriologist that says any biblical author thought Satan was the Sumerian deity Enki. I'm in agreement with that, gentlemen. I think um, it was very interesting. You got a lot of people who really are not what I call specialists. I'm a generalist, mm -hmm. as the audience knows, and in your specialist, no different than Dr. Lee Merritt's specialist as a spinal surgeon, right? And so what is your reaction to that simple, short video? Um, I mean, I agree that uh, the term Lucifer only shows up once, and it is about the fall of the King of Babylon. He's, he's correct about that. However, um, Lucifer, the deity, like in the modern, and and by modern, I really mean like the past thousand, fifteen hundred years or something like that in occultism. Yep. That deity, I think, may very well be Enki. I actually disagree with the gentleman there and agree with the woman. I think that it's a um, the 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 portfolio of abilities, the general outlook being against like the head god um being very intelligent uh just there's a lot of traits that are crossovers between lucifer and enki including the sort of uh another another deity that i think is kind of in that same wheelhouse is prometheus who gave fire to to man against the wishes of the rest of the greek pantheon yeah um, I, I see a lot of like archetypal crossover between those deities and i actually think the one is right from a purely like um scholarly point of view i would agree with that gentleman but i think to narrow the focus to just biblical citations is only useful in christian theology and isn't particularly useful in a study of the esoteric or occult mm -hmm. broadly speaking so um you know and I, I i'm not i'm not a theologian and i wouldn't uh you know i wouldn't get into an argument with someone who is about various different biblical citations, unless it's something I know really well, just because that's not really my wheelhouse. But I will say that in modern occultism, uh, I would say that Lucifer being this Promethea, Promethean rebellious impulse against God that wants to replace God with mankind at the center uh, does sound very much like the Sumerian deity Enki, and that it's very possible that that deity is one and the same in terms of I am of the opinion that 
Lucifer is an existent entity that exists independently of humanity, much like I believe that about the angels, uh, demons, a great deal of um, beings exist independently of humanity, uh, which doesn't mean they don't interact with or inform. There's also like an archetypal psychological Jungian kind of version that does live within the collective unconscious of humanity. Uh, but it, it, in a certain sense, it doesn't matter because the influence on humanity and our actions is kind of the same. The zeitgeist, if you will, uh, of zeitgeist isn't quite the right word, although it, it does relate to the fact that we're moving away from a what I call Malachian zeitgeist, which I think that is the true identity of Satan in the Bible is Moloch, the Canaanite yep. Phoenician god. Uh, that was the overt enemy of David, King David, which is kind of really the principal figure in a lot of ways of the uh, Torah. You know, you could argue that it's Solomon, David, or Moses, but it's or, or Abraham, I guess, but it's really one of those four. So certainly one of the most singular pivotal figures in uh, the Torah is David and, and his enemy and the God of his enemy were the Canaanites uh, and specifically Moloch, in my opinion, is Satan because Satan just means the adversary. And I believe that Moloch is very separate and very distinct from Lucifer. So, yeah, and we'll get we'll get into the show uh, for the audience. Uh, Greek, my understanding of the of the word Prometheus, the name is pro for Metheus thought and his brother Epimetheus means scatterbrain, right? Or, or, or confused thought or afterthought or whatever. So it is very interesting, you know, these names in mythology, and I studied a lot of mythology uh, mm -hmm. from, from the Norse mythology all the way on down the Greeks, Egyptians, so on and so forth, Sumeria, very, the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, all very interesting to me. Let's get into our PowerPoint and we're going to dive deep into the show because this is fascinating. I love this kind of discussions. Real quick, can I say one thing? Yeah, please. I know that you're Scandinavian. I believe that Loki and Lucifer is the same deity as well. That it's just another aspect. That would make sense, right? You're talking about the god of mischief. That's how, what they call him in Norway, right? Loki, always so in mischief. He's a, a part on the, on the, uh, with the gods, and sometimes he's against them, right? And that's that's very interesting. Good point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that. Okay. Let's go to the PowerPoint and get into the show. Right. So I'm calling this uh, episode 17, The Black Cult of Occultism with Ian Ferguson. Uh, this is James Grumman, you know me, right? Uh, I do five shows a week, uh, Unrestricted Warfare, and if not, it's Beyond the Bible, either or. But you can find me in our shows with Josh Reed on rumble.com, Red Pill Project for now. So here's a movie leaving behind. And the reason why I'm, I'm doing this, because at the end of this episode today, I'm going to show um, different features related to the two movies that are all about predictive programming, the end of the world, which is leave behind, leave the world behind, literally is in our face, as well as Civil War, in which our guest Ian Ferguson has not seen that video, but him and I had a little discussion about it. But in our face in a poster is Bale. There's the name Bale, in our face, leave the world behind. Make no mistake, they did this on purpose. Absolutely. Right? So here we go. We, we got a, a couple of books, and I'm not familiar with these books, but I find them interesting if I was going to dive into them. 
uh, A History of Witchcraft and The Lesser Key of Solomon. Ian, have you read either of these two books? And if so, what are your thoughts? I have not read the first one, uh, although I'm, I've definitely heard it cited. But yes, The Lesser Key of Solomon, I haven't studied it deeply just yep. because I try and avoid going too deep on the Clefoth or the Lesser Key, the Goetia here. Yeah. Uh, however, I will point out that it's fascinating to me that um, there's 72 uh, named demons in the Goetia, and then there's 72 Shem angels. And I, one thing that I do do a lot of is theurgic Solonic magic, specifically and only with the angels. And I find it fascinating that there's a reflection uh, which aligns with the Hermetic principle of as above, so below that there's 72 divine angels that are very near to us in vibration and help hum humans and are in fact to the most high created to answer prayers. And yep. that there's a, a very similar equivalent of 72 named demons in the lesser key of Solomon. In fact, there was even someone, it's not true anymore, but in the original Unicode for quite a while, all the smiley faces, right? All the little emojis, there were 72 of them that wow. were uh linked and i there's a guy i've been trying to get on my show has a very bizarre youtube channel where he has a puppet <laughs> who does all the talking oh, it's quite odd that would, uh, that would annoy me as a viewer yeah. just let you know it, it's called professor bulwer smythe and he makes an incredibly compelling argument that they very intentionally put the 72 seals of the goetia in there that I found to be uh, pretty spot on. Now I've I've thumbed through it, and actually, the Lesser Key of Solomon was my first, um, my first like sort of uh, introduction to or looking into magic, like ritual magic. But even though I was in my very early twenties, I thought to myself, well, if this is if this is fake, then not looking at it won't harm me. But if this is real it could very well be that I'm putting myself at risk by going through this and especially by doing any of these rituals. And that was a very wise in retrospect, shocking because I wasn't particularly wise in my early twenties. Sure. Uh, but I went through it quite a lot. And one of the things that struck me and continues to strike me is how much um, sigils, uh, especially classical magical sigils look like circuit boards of uh, computers. Interesting. Like, no mistake about that, I'm sure. I don't think so either. I'm I'm convinced that um, you know, uh entities can reach through uh screens, actually, unfortunately, and that um computer technology is ripe for spirits to come through and press into it. And that actually I think spirits are gonna take advantage of AI in particular and probably already have. Probably some of the more spooky that is actually a brilliant observation i watched this movie a silent movie two nights ago and turn a classic movies called uh flesh and the devil greta garbo 1926 so it's, it, it's almost a hundred year movie it was an amazing wow. film though a love story love triangle of course and she was the one that wanted she needed love now right and so when her 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 deepest love left uh to, to south africa for the army she she was well she ended up end up marrying his best friend as a childhood friend but what was interesting, the pastor made the observation, like, look, the spirit, the, the, the demonic spirit might not be able to get inside your spirit, but then the devil will create a beautiful woman to get inside your flesh, and it ends up in the same problem. It was a very fascinating uh, movie, way ahead of its time as far as story-wise, I thought, and it was pretty interesting. Flesh and the Devil, highly uh, re 
recommended people. You go on YouTube, find you find the full length, go watch it. It's an incredible film on many levels. Um, so these oh, are some simple. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that's a that's actually a profound warning, uh, and quite quite uh well put what you just said. Yeah, it was profound to me, and I realized, wow, this movie is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's before they had telephones. I mean, they might have telephones in 1926, but in reality, mm -hmm. they didn't have much of anything else as far as communication, right? Letters and 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 face-to-face -face conversation, kind of the opposite of world we live in today, 100 years later. Yeah. Uh, so, so I just took there's hundreds of symbols you could find on on images anywhere, right? So I, I I picked some of these. Any of these stand out for you that you want to discuss? Well, I mean, um, you know, there's the there's the pentacle there in the upper left hand corner, and the pentacle is um, really just like a, a symbol for the human man. I mean, if you see the Verturian Man by uh, Leonardo da Vinci, yes. it actually makes that symbol exactly, and that is actually like a neutral or semi-positive symbol in occultism to where you use it more for invocation internal transformation as opposed to when you reverse that symbol and you turn it upside down then you get the the honed go the horned goat uh which is more about the bestial and lower nature of humanity this is about the higher that particular symbol is sort of about the higher nature the higher chakras whereas the other one was about the lower nature and the lower chakras um, and that's why you'll see in dark occultism, you see the reverse, the pentagram rather than the pentacle. Got it. Uh, another thing that's interesting about that symbol is that, of course, um, if you were to draw lines connecting the points of the star, you would end up with a pentagon, right? Oh, so oh yeah, like we have in D.C. Yeah, depending on your orientation, if you view the pentagon, it becomes a, uh, you know, you can easily put a, a, a pentacle or a pentagram and i'm gonna guess that it's probably the latter and i noticed they have a little grove in the middle of it and yeah. i wouldn't doubt at all if they do uh you know occultist practices in the well, middle they, of that. They, they did it at cern right we had the the occult occultist yeah. shiva there that did, did all that they've done it at ground zero after the destruction of the twin towers right sacrificing the twins yeah, you know, before they rebuilt, they they dug everything out and they went down there. And there's a video, two minute video of them walking in circles. All these druids, what uh, look like druids with you know all the black robes and hoods on and everything else. And they did this uh, walking and counterclockwise, probably chanting something demonic or whatever. So it was very interesting. You know that that actually grown men act like children, but this is what this is what is being displayed. So they literally believe in the devil. No question about it. In my mind. Yeah, and and I mean, and we'll go into it later, but um, there's definitely multiple, um, you know, there there's, I mean, there's two sort of main factions or states of consciousness. We'll talk about this later: the Malachians and the Luciferians. But there there are also like there are a lot of uh, deities and a lot of entities out there, and uh, they really are a lot of shades of gray, and they get darker and darker. And then Moloch is really like kind of the old ultimate pitch black lower astral uh but it's a slippery slope and people who tend to dabble in uh you know anything below kind of absolute neutrality it very they're very likely to spiral down into that malachian consciousness it's very hard not to when you start dabbling in that stuff that's why i tell people don't just don't do it yeah don't do the rituals so. with you on that don't take the drugs and do the rituals either that's just another way into your soul you do not want that um, let me read a abbreviated version of your bio. So in January of sure. 2001, 
Ian was given a prophetic vision showing the attacks on 9-11 and how it was part of a larger spiritual battle. After 9-11 occurred, Ian began a multi-decade journey of truth-seeking across many domains. He can explain what they are. And Ian spent decades researching astrology, both Vedic and Western, alchemy, shamanism, angelic magic, as well as secret societies and mystery schools, and much, much more. And you can find Ian's work at White Lotus of Light. That's his website, whitelotusoflight.com. And his YouTube channel is White Lotus of Light as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm in the process of transferring. Uh, they finally have a feature where you can sync your YouTube with Rumble and BitChute and all the rest. Because I tried doing it one at a time, and it was driving me to madness. Oh, and I so you would have to. Yeah, hopefully Rumble and BitChute, I've, I've done the process to do it. Um, I'm even going to try to get on TikTok just because right now all the kids, the kids are just being subjected to the evil. I, I feel really mixed about it because TikTok is a very evil algorithm-driven thing run by the CCP, which is Malachian as it gets. Yep. But I also don't think that we can just abandon the kids. Like, I have my son off TikTok. We have, you know, we, he was on very briefly. And then finally, I was like, we just have to have a hard line on this. Like, he can be on Snapchat and our stuff, but F no to this TikTok trash, right? That yeah. said, there's so almost all young people like 25 and under are only on TikTok. They're not really on YouTube. YouTube's the old person thing now, somehow. And so I well, want to. TikTok's got a lot of features, YouTube. I don't see anyone playing or recording videos on YouTube for a minute. I, it's very rare. It, it, it is it is all TikTok, to be honest with you. The photographs on Instagram, the the short videos are on TikTok. So it, it's like you know, pick your pick your tech poison, and that's uh, just the way it is, unfortunately. Well, I want to get the message out because I want to try and I want to try and bring young people into better awareness about you know divine masculine, divine feminine. And away from all this like Malachian mind poison that's on TikTok, and give them the antidote there. And you got to go where they are, you know. So no, I, you, you do. You have to go go where they are. You have to use their tools sometimes. That's the way yeah. it works, right? Use the tools, of the enemy, right, to expose yeah. them or, or defeat them. We're gonna yep. play video two real quick. Uh, it's gonna be it's a two minute video on the magic of the English language that's used against us. Yes, mm -hmm. everything's used against us for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Can't imagine why, but oh, I guess the uh, they want to go transhumanism full scale. So what do I mean by the secret spells of the English language? Well, let me share with you what I call our premier life sentence. And it goes something like this. We awake each morning and go off during the weekdays to earn the living at various jobs and undertakings until we come to the weekend. And this seems perfectly acceptable to most people. However, more people die between six and nine on a Monday morning than any other time of the week. So I do what I call a translation of the English language, and I spell that T-R-A-N-C-E with the idea that words cast spells. So when you translate that life sentence, you remember that awake is a funeral party for the dead. Mm. Mourning is the state you're in when you attend awake. And you would have to be in a week days to earn the living, since urns are for the ashes of the dead. We call our jobs undertakings. Job itself is a Hebrew word for persecuted. 
And what we get at the end of this perverse bargain with life is the weak end of the deal as we become progressively weakened ourselves. And so our most prevalent greeting to each other is, hello, the reverse of which is, oh, hell. And at first, I suspected the hands of collusion entangling the language to foster illusion. And I think it's quite true that a culture's theology has a great deal to do with a word's etymology and how it evolves over time to combine incompatible meanings that may undermine the original thoughts it was meant to define. But now, I don't think it's planned, for the thing that I've found is that like concepts can gravitate toward the same sound and vibrate at the rate that our thoughts designate. Because words are electromagnetic vibrations whose fine alphabetic tintinabulations can take on the tint of our true expectations, which they then imprint on our metal of mind, causing sounds to adhere when they're of the same kind. Go ahead, Ian. Weigh in. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, she, she's she's right on the money. And I mean, there there's uh, there is that more surface level one of where she talks about, you know, how there's all these words that have double meanings, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you had that double cross symbol up earlier. And that's part of part of the meaning of that is is uh, double meanings and the way it works in a lot of, you know, secret societies and mystery schools, both positive ones which do exist and the more well-known negative ones is that they have layers of meaning that's one of the things that most people don't understand is that everyone wants things to be discreet they want them to be black or white and good or evil they want the bad guy to come on come on and announce himself wearing a black suit and a black cape like darth vader and when in history has that been true well antifa <laughs> right well okay BLM. I'm, I'm just saying. Go ahead. <laughs> Touche on especially on TV. They do just look like bad guys, and Klaus Schwab certainly does. But uh, most of the time, uh, you know, they come forward and they say they're going to help you, right? They say they're for the little people and whatever, right? You know, yeah. like most of the great dictators have made this claim while they're busy, like genociding or demociding the people. But moving back to what she said, um, there is that thing where there's multiple meanings and multiple layers of meanings. And, and for the uninitiated or lower levels of initiation, certain symbols have a very different meaning, like in masonry, for example. I'm not a mason. I know a lot of masons. I don't think I'm not in the school of thought that all masons are evil. My lived experience shows that that's not true. My thought on the masons is that it's a recruiting ground. It's much like a Ivy League college to where if you show certain potential, you can be brought into a Malachian secret society that's far more evil, right? Skull and bones or something like that, right? You can yep. be brought into a more Luciferian uh, mystery school, much more rarely some uh, a mystery school that are very deeply hidden of the Most High because at this point in time, they're heavily persecuted and have been for 6,000 years by the dominant faction, the Malachians. And far, far, far more rarely, there are there is what I call a non-dual faction that exists in, in the Himalayas, it seems that um, a lot of occultists believe it's sort of at the ultimate top of things. Like in an apocryphal letter, and it's never been proven, but a letter between uh, Giuseppe Manzini, who founded the Cosa Nostra, the Mafia, 
Italian yeah. mafia or Sicilian mafia. And Albert Pike, the famed occultist of the late 1800s, of which there's another Albert Pike that the two of them sometimes are confused. But the, I'm talking about the 33rd degree Freemason who claimed that he was a reincarnation of Jacques de Molay, the last Grand Master of the Templar. He was certainly a genius par excellence, no doubt about that. There was a lot of things that are ascribed to Pike that you can't really find strong data on, among other things that he claimed that Masonry was a Luciferian organization. That, that's part of what is commonly referred to as the Leo Taxo hoax. I'm not so sure that was a hoax so much as it was a revelation of the method, actually. Right. Um, but he, Pike said to Manzini, or rather Manzini said to Pike that he said, there's another group, right? And supposedly at the time, Giuseppe Manzini was the head of the Illuminati, which had continued long after Weishaupt and never really went away, right? Which mm -hmm. uh, is possibly a Jesuit creation, it seems likely, because Adam Weishaupt, the historical figure, I'm talking about the historical Bavarian Illuminati, not this kind of watered-down catch-all phrase that people use, but the actual secret society. Adam Weishaupt was himself a Jesuit. And the nexus of power around occultism to a huge degree is the Vatican, right? It's like that's where you're getting really close to the real powers that be, when you get close to that, a lot of people stop at the Jesuits and think that that's the end all be all. And it's not. But that is an important outer order. And so anyways, Gi Giuseppe Manzini said, even us veterans of secret societies know that there's a greater power out there. And we're very disturbed by it. And we're very frightened. And we don't know what it is. And um, he said something. I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said. But what I realized after reading that and reading, like, for example, part of the reason that Hitler sent uh, at Himmler's behest, sent people up to Tibet was they were looking for this fabled seven immortal sages that sit in Shangri-La or Shambhala, and they look at this reflecting pool, and they change the course of human events, and that they are beyond good and evil. So in order to spiritually evolve humanity, they steer things. So that was one of the things they were looking for in Tibet. They didn't find it, of course, but I think that if you're evil, which I would say that Giuseppe Manzini clearly was, right? The Cosa Nostra are pretty brutal and awful. Yep. Uh, and you perceive that there's a power out there that's greater than the power you're familiar with. Likely you would believe that it's evil, right? Because you're a fear, fear and hate-based person. And so you would perceive it as evil. Conversely, like good aligned people hearing about this group might very well think also that it's evil because it's sort of beyond either of those. And when I say non-dual, I'm talking about like in the Hindu conception of Advaita Vedanta, where you are trying to transcend reality. And one of the ways you do that is that you recognize that everything must be one ultimately, and that there's a void. And within that void of consciousness springs all of reality. And that that reality obviously includes what we perceive as evil, right? And so therefore, Therefore, in order to rectify all of that and bring it together, you have to have a non-dual outlook and you have to be beyond good and evil, right? Yeah. And so um, it's repugnant to the Western mind, this concept, for sure. But um, I, I think there's some truth to it. And in fact, Yogananda's teacher, Sri Yukteswar, was initiated by a man named Lahiri Mahayasa. And Lahiri Mahayasa, in turn, claimed that he was initiated by a blue-skinned immortal being known as Babaji, who is one of these set who even I believe he says in autobiography 
Piyav Yogi, that Babaji claims that he's one of these seven immortal sages and that he basically had total power over physical reality. Lahiri Mahayasa said he just called into existence this giant palace and with like beautiful women in it and jewels and all this stuff just to satisfy Lahiri Mahayasa so he could refocus on enlightenment, that he had to satisfy this these carnal needs. So if that's true, it makes me wonder about like the Sapta Rishis who brought civilization to India or the seven sages that appear on the west coast of uh, Mesopotamia, you know, not Mesopotamia, but uh, the Arabic Peninsula, or they they refer to them in the Americas as well, that they come from the ocean and that there's specifically seven of them. It's all over the world. They have this exact same thing and they reconstitute civilization after some kind of massive cataclysm, the Reset. fall of Atlantis. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, so, so, uh, I, I forgot how we even got on this thread. I was like, kind no, of. No, it's, it's an interesting. It, it's an interesting thread. Um, there's so much to this. There's so much to uh, mythology that we wonder if actually ancient aliens has got sort of a, not entirely got it wrong, but actually might got some of it right as far as the alien connection. But the aliens might not come from outer space. They might come from the ocean. So you know, I think everything is is open now, wide open. We've had disclosure. I just did a show yesterday. Uh, called the face peelers out of Peru, where we're witnesses, where two two beings are on on like uh, not hovercrafts, literally, we're just in these suits and they they, they levitated off the ground. And wait a minute, wait, did you interview Portugal. Josh tomorrow? Yeah, I, I, so I interviewed Josh. Oh, he's one of, he's one of my best friends, actually. Are I you forgot he's coming on this show. I am serious. Yeah, yeah. So Josh, so, yeah, so we did a, a deep deep dive with Josh. And I had uh -huh. Dr. Lee Merritt, so a week before we did the show, we had Dr. Lee Merritt, Kerry Cassidy, who's deep into, you know, cultism and UFOs and all that stuff. Josh Reed, my, my business partner, Decentralized Media, Media me. We're all there with Josh Mayer a week ago just to get the backstory. And when Dr. Merritt started hearing, like, the paste on the face and the, and the syringes, she's like, well, that's not lidocaine, right? Because Peru doesn't have lidocaine floating around. As an anesthetic, it's got to be cocaine, the, the paste. And so this is what she was talking about. And the fact that these two medics who spoke English and, and Spanish couldn't couldn't control a 14-year-old girl. It was kind of physical. I've I seen her video. I thought all of that was really interesting and there's something to the story. It, it's not, You just can't dismiss it. So there's so much we do not know. Mm -hmm. and, and we are in the end times, I believe, in the book of Revelation. That's somewhere where yes. what's apocalypse is not the end of the world. I know we misuse this word. Word. Right. It's actually the great unveiling, taking off the veil, right? The At the end of the day, that's all it's about. It's about the truth. Jesus mm -hmm. never promised the truth is going to look good, it's going to be pretty, going to come in a bow, none of that stuff, right? He just says the truth will set you free. Well, I think we're we're basically yeah. in that phase of the Christian Bible. We're we're kind of like in the, in a truth episode. So my mind is wide open. I dismiss nothing. I know big government, big everything lies, but I dismiss this. I dismiss nothing on entities, demonic realms, UFOs. I dismiss nothing. You have to keep an open mind. And until we get more data, then I can update my theories or speculation or whatever it is. But until then, I don't worry about it. So I, I love the fact you're into this research because it's a different different fork of mythology. It's a different fork on Christianity. And it, it gives you a different perspective mm -hmm. on everything. Right? So I, I think it's great. For the audience, though, I, what I thought, I never mm -hmm. thought of Luciferians and the Malachians 
separate. I always always j- jump, jumbled them together. And, and the reason why I did this, right, Moloch, you know, the evil uh, sacrifice and babies of Moloch and stuff versus Luciferians is, well, you're right. It can't be just black hats and white hats. There's got to be something in the middle. Something in the middle is more Luciferian. You and I had a conversation, uh, you know, a month ago about this. And so I call them the gray hats now. But if you want to explain to the audience the difference between Malachians, right, mm-hmm. the, the pure evil or closer to pure evil and the they Luciferians, are. I think that would help go a long way. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if there's a, if there's any relevance to the word evil, then it's definitely these Malachians, right? They're, they're, they're repugnant. They go... Um, you know, one a, a good way to uh, a good way to sort of describe this is to go through this uh, chart that I have. Let me just real quick bring this up, and then we let can me share it. screen. Hold on. Yeah. Well, I gotta grab it first, so I haven't yeah, even. That, that, so I got give you the screens. You could go ahead and take over the show. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So let me go back here, and then we'll just do the share screen. Okay. So this is a diagram that I talked about. So the best way to look at this is. Um, yes, there are deities, as I said, that in my opinion, uh, are, are discrete entities that exist, um, to some degree, two of the three of them are very tied to the destiny of humans here on earth. Lucifer, not so much, but the most high and Moloch are both, um, tied to the destiny of the earth. But the other way you can look at this that I think is probably more useful, generally speaking, is as levels of consciousness based on the evolution of the soul in question. Now, I'm of the opinion, and it's kind of key in the understanding of all of this, right? And this is some Christian viewers won't like this, but I'm of the opinion that uh, reincarnation is real and that karma is one of the fundamental laws of the universe. And in fact, there's even a reference that managed to escape the the editor's uh, scissors in the Bible uh, to where the uh, apostles asked, and then they have spin an explanation of why this isn't mean what I'm going to say, but the apostles say to Jesus, well, wait a minute, if you're the Messiah, then the prophecy is that Isaiah would return before you appear, before the Christ figure appeared. And he said, well, but he has, he has returned and you know him as John the Baptist, right? Interesting. Yes. And so John the Baptist, by the way, is hugely important important to the Templars. That's that skull that they that they worshipped. It's actually because John the Baptist was beheaded. Correct. And the Templar hold John the Baptist on pretty much an equivalent uh, level of a Jesus in terms of spiritual importance. That's kind of an aside, but an interesting little thread for people. Um, so... Uh, Judaism has references to reincarnation. Um, and uh, I don't, I can't pull one out of my brain right in the second, but th- it is something that in the very sprawling Jewish uh, spiritual text of which there's, you know, it, it, it dwarfs the Bible in terms of scope. Like there's just a huge amount of written material. So there's the two Talmuds, there's the Torah, there's the, um, Oh my gosh, the most important one that I wanted to say here. Um, dang it. Oh, it's that one that they, Come they on. it in. I know I'm like trying to pull that thread. Zohar, the Zohar. The Zohar is this very voluminous text, and they reference it somewhere, I believe, in the Zohar about uh about reincarnation. And so I'm of the opinion that reincarnation is definitely a thing. And 
it's actually um, very destructive to think that you only live once. It makes you much easier to control, as does. I'm not. I'm not just. Dis I'm not disagreeing. So, I'm going to slightly disagree with you, and none of us have evidence of this. But you made some excellent points in both the Torah, Torah the Old Testament, and the New Testament. So I'm with you. Not not disputing anything you said, and you might be right. But I'm looking sure. at the the human DNA. So why mm -hmm. have the big tech companies spent billions of dollars? Going mm -hmm. down the DNA as as a storage system for information. Yes, that started about a decade ago, and mm -hmm. they realized it, it's it you know uh, pound for pound it can store more information densely than anything else on the planet. Yes, Any, anything. It it it's amazing. And if you think what is a D, what is the D, the DNA helix? It's this the scroll. It's the scroll of your life, mm -hmm. and it goes back and it captures all of your ancestors. Mm -hmm. The database. And so my thinking is, well, uh, I was a sailor in the past, or I was this over here or that over there. Mm -hmm. And all of that is interesting. But if it if it's related to your bloodline, then to me, it's the DNA. I know there's been reincarnation where people have been in, in apparently in bodies of other other races of humans, I meaning like, like a white guy in uh, Europe, and suddenly he was a girl in a past life, supposedly in, in the south pacific or something so there, there are there are a lot of very interesting things so i'm i'm on the fence that it's possibly dna because they've gone you know the the malachians mm -hmm. modern day canaanites they have gone deep in, into trying to destroy god's seed right but one thing we got to understand about the dna and i talked to a, a cyber security expert from the u.s army uh no one has God's source code in DNA. They can't replicate it. Right. They, they, they can CRISPR it and they can't unencrypt it, right? They can't decrypt it. It's encrypted. So it's encrypted source code and that's it. So no one can reproduce what God is God's grand design. Absolutely. They can analyze it all they want, CRISPR it all they want, uh, you know, mutate it, destroy it, corrupt it, but they can't reproduce it. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right? I, I would I would agree with all of that. Um there's a number of books out there about like young children saying stuff that's literally impossible where they know specifics about someone who's not in their family bloodline about how they died their life everything about it there's tons of books out there yep. where they like have ultra compelling testimony i mean for it and again it's up to the individual to cite all this and i'm just sharing my perspective i'm not trying i'm not to dismissing anything so again i got no open mind and reincarnation yeah. letting you know um well, anyways, it it um I will just go go to this, but I will just say like it it it's helpful to understand that simply because it's 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 very freeing and it also makes you want to be a better person. Whereas uh if you believe in the this low level thing, right? So the Malachians yeah. are core trait is self-hatred. And one of the things that comes from that quite often is dead materialism because Moloch and the Malachians, they want to destroy God. Yeah. Lucifer wants to replace God with man and Lucifer. But Moloch wants to destroy God. They want to invert everything, right? They want yep. to just—they want to do just total destruction, uh, because Moloch's core thing is you're either completely under my thrall with the fear that passes understanding, a fear so strong you would give your own children and offspring and go completely against your nature, your true nature as a being. Yeah, and you would overwrite all of your biology in order to give your child up to Moloch. Or total destruction. That's what Moloch offers. One of those two, total enslavement or total destruction. And so 
dead materialism, which was pushed out of the British Royal Society in the mid-1800s, is very much uh, a mind control program because when you believe, even worse than thinking you don't reincarnate, far worse than that is thinking that uh, there's not any God at all. And yep. that then it makes you ultra easy to control because they can induce you with bribes and they can make you fearful of that game over blank screen of death, right? And that yeah. makes you hyper right for mind control. Plus, it's an abomination in the sense of that it says God doesn't exist at all. No, I'm not it, a it, but it I, is, Go ahead. It is an abomination. There's no question about that, right? And if you mm -hmm. think of the, the news coming out, leaking out on social media the past few months, not pretty, that George Bush and it has to be Obama, it has to be most of the world leaders, were raped as children by, by at least 100, 100 men, right, as kids. And they mm -hmm. do that to, to shatter their psyche, mm -hmm. to control them, to, to put them down at the, the lowest thing, which is the core trait of self-hatred, because that's when they end up. And so they, the Egyptians did that, apparently, from what I understand, with the pharaohs. So they were able to control, the hidden hand was able to control the pharaohs in their kingdoms. So I, I find the Malachian mentality, yeah, it exists in my opinion. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard that particular thread about the, the pharaohs. I'll have to look into that. That's probably like once we move into the Kali Yuga, uh, which was about 6,000 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and, and the Kali Yuga is when Moloch takes over and becomes the dominant force and the dominant consciousness on Earth. Pro well, I'll get to that in a second. But so some of the traits are hive mind. You'll see it all at the blue-haired liberals chaotic duality you're either with me or you're against me reference to george w bush there parasitism right a lot of people say oh well jesus said that in the bible i don't believe that there's a lot of edits to the bible that doesn't mean that jesus yeshua isn't a savior and isn't um someone that you can surrender to deeply and like have a yep. connection to the most high i absolutely believe that i'm not a christian but as a friend of mine says i'm a jesus guy i love yeshua i believe that modeling my life as best I can after Yeshua, and of course I fail, gets a very high bar, is like one of the things I try and do. I was raised Catholic, but I don't, I'm not a Christian because I just, I don't believe in organized religion. I think it's uh, very dangerous for a lot of reasons, but I very much love Jesus and I very much support, uh, you know, all the people who are true Christians and actually care for their fellow humans. So material stagnation for humanity parasitism might makes right that's really important physical torture epstein style harm of children is actually critical in slavery i was initiated uh by a, a siberian shaman literally from a siberian line of shamans not people throw the term around shaman around real loosey-goosey and people down in la white guys in la who have no connection to anything claim to be a shaman right i'm talking yeah. a literal siberian lineage shaman he initiate me i met him back in the early mid 2000s and one one of the things he told me he said that both in the siberian shaman line as well as a nepalese buddhist like tantric magical line he was given the same message and that it was critically important and this is way before i knew all this stuff in this chart he said six thousand years ago there were evil dark sorcerers and they were consorting with demons and the demon said to them, there's a greater power that you haven't tapped into yet because the, the stars weren't right. It wasn't time. It wasn't time yet. And they said, well, what's a greater power than all these demons we already work with? And they say, well, the only way you can know that power is you have to connect with it and you have to open a gateway to the lowest realm of the lower astral. I'm paraphrasing what he said. 
I understood. And they said, how can you do that? And the demon said, you have to do the Epstein-style harm of children. And a ritual sacrifice, the sacrifice part actually isn't as important as the, the, you know, the sodomy part. That's the more important for a variety of reasons. It reverses the kundalini energy or can um, it, uh, if it's done in a certain way. But the end result is it opened a portal to the lower astral. And the shaman said, and then this ancient Near Eastern demon god, he didn't name Moloch, but I will, reached through that and touched the minds of those dark sorcerers. And that led to the entire civilization around us. So can you uh, take us out of the screen share here? Sure, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, no problem. So uh, we got about, you know, 10 minutes left. Let's talk about black mobility. Then if we got time, we'll, we'll play the Civil War trailer because okay. there is a lot of hidden occult symbolism in there. Go ahead. Um, yeah, so just just final thoughts that real quick that the Luciferians are uh, they, they there's crossover, as you can see between those charts and people can go back and look at that chart uh, to where like desire for conquest, ruthlessness, power, desire for power. Um, that's something that the Luciferians and the Malachians share in common. And that's part of the reason people make the mistake, like a real quick, easy way to know if someone's a Luciferian or Malachian is to go to a truther. You know, anyone in the truth, left, right, center, doesn't matter, and say, what do you think of Bill Gates? They're all going to say, oh, he's evil. They're all going to say it. And, and if they don't, they're probably an agent, right? Like, everybody's going to say it. Klaus Schwab, everyone's going to say it, right? But if you ask people, what about Trump? What about Elon Musk? What about Joe Rogan? What about Russell Brand, right? Yeah. People are going to have a very mixed opinion. And that's because there's this Luciferian energy of confusion that actually emanates from the deity, but it provides sort of a cloak for people who are at that level of consciousness. Now, some of them, I think Elon Musk specifically does worship Lucifer actively. Most people, it's just a level of consciousness. For the black nobility, which we'll talk about in just a second, they worship Moloch, no doubt about it. I believe that some amount of the people who are in the Luciferian faction, right, which is about to take over, in my opinion, a false light rescue, right, to lead us towards this narcissism, which is the core trait of Lucifer, the, uh, those people have a cloak of confusion. And so most high affiliated people see them as evil and the Molochians see them as Molochian. People don't understand that there's something else in the middle. And it's funny, this is the 17th episode because the 17th letter of the alphabet, right? With the first Ew. letter of the queen. Right, you can go ahead and say it, I guess. It, well, if I can say it, yeah, Q. That whole milieu made no sense to me with the white hats thing. And it seemed like a trick. But when the angels like gave me this, you know, gnosis about the Luciferians, then all of a sudden it clicked for me that, OK, there's a two groups that are battling it out. They have a lot of overlapping goals, but this one group is about to run the table on the other group and is about to take over. And so that those very divisive figures like that are Luciferian and consciousness. Whereas you just know the evil of Bill Gates, only the dumbest blue hair liberal doesn't see it. And these and people- there's no, there's no question, he's always been about depopulation. I mean, it goes right. through his father, it, it's always been that way. Uh, let's get into the black mobility uh, real quick. Okay, so just super, super, super quick distillation. Babylonian money magic is probably their fundamental magical principle. It all dates back to Babylon. Uh, it's about usury and the creation of money out of nothing. And then uh, the additional insult of then levy, levying interest on top of that. That begins in Babylon, 
before the birth of Abraham. So you can just immediately know it ain't the Jesuits, it's not the British crown, it's not the Jews, it's not the Masons, right? Because this group yep. is much, much older. That sorcery, some of it stayed in Babylon for a long, long time with a group called the Rodanites, a very key figure, a very key group that they later would claim to be Jewish, but they were not, right? Yep. Much like the Sabatian Frankists. Uh, and they worked with the infamous Khazarians, which, again, people get hung up on the Jewish thing, and they miss that there's this much more ancient group. And in fact, in my estimation, Abraham and the people who were enslaved have had MK Ultra level torture done to them. They were broken psychologically. They were set free. And then they created a religion that, to a large degree, was a Babylonian mind control program right out of the gate. That group has since captured also uh, Islam and Christianity. I'm talking about the organizational level. I'm not saying the rank and file Jewish people. No, no, you're a hundred percent correct. I'm with you on all of that. So this group then moved to Tyre on the west coast of uh, the Arabic Peninsula and created Tyre, where like purple dye and royal purple. That was the main way. That, one of the main ways they made money. They did some amount of money lending stuff. They still had that technology, that magical technology, if you will. They weren't employing it a ton in Tyre. They were leaning more on the, the purple dye of the Murex now. But uh, they also had a, a, a um, colony in Carthage, right, where Hannibal yeah. and Rome comes from. And uh, in both of those cases, uh, Rome crushed Carthage and Alexander the Great crushed Tyre. Those families then... They weren't taken out of power. They didn't have their money taken. This is always the mistake people make is they leave these people with their tools and they moved up to Rome and they became Roman senatorial families. And then as Rome began to degrade and collapse, they moved to Venice and became the bankers of the Rialto. And again, they were bankrupting Europe while Casaria wasn't even a conate yet. So again, you can't blame the Ashkenazi Casarian Jews for this thing. So then the Pope bans usury right around the same time the Kiev Rus, the Russians, crushed Khazaria, which yep. was working with the Rodanites to do all this like nasty trade stuff along the Silk Road and was doing all the name stealing, all this awful stuff. When the Pope banned usury, these Venetian families who are indeed Moloch worshipers, and I even have a smoking gun on that, they uh, you started using Jews as frontmen. And that's when the court Jews appear everywhere in Europe. And people who are, you know, want to run with this anti-Jewish conspiracy theory, right? I don't want to say anti-Semitic because they, they, there's a lot of different Semitic whoa, people. Whoa, hold it. Canaanites were Semitic. Keep going. <laughs> right. Canaanites are Semitic and so are Babylonians. Key. That's key. So yeah, uh, exactly. Please. Yeah. So um, and and like it's funny because right now there's an internecine uh, Semitic conflict in Gaza. Right. So yeah. to keep in mind. So these court Jews suddenly appear and everyone's like, oh, they've been kicked out of 160 trillion countries or whatever. And that's true. That's just historically accurate. The question nobody asks is if so many of them were grabbed and executed and their assets were seized by the various kings. How did they have the bankroll to do this again and again and again and again? And do we know of another group who did this exact same thing of debt, usury, Babylonian money magic in order to enslave European, uh, like proto-European, like baronies and dukedoms? Yes, we do. The bankers of the Rialto, the Venetians were doing this. Yes, they were. So then the War of the League of Cambrai happened. Merchant of Venice. Yes. Then the War of the League of Cambrai happens. 
And um, basically, Europeans were sick of the Venetians. They had had it, right? And they came up with the own name, Venetian Black Nobility, because they're all about black-pilling psyops. What are you going to do to resist us, right? They came up with that own name to scare people. Well, that was a mistake. And they almost got destroyed. At the last minute, they wheeled and dealed and got the Pope to, like, pull off and whatever. And they realized, wow, we can't operate in public even to the degree that we do anymore at all. So we need to liquidate our assets because the Mediterranean is no longer the hub for trading. And they moved to the city of London in England and to Amsterdam. Yep. And they recreated basically the trade networks that they had had in the old Silk Road and throughout the Mediterranean. And it became the East Indies Company, the Dutch East Indies Company, and then the British. And eventually they just moved completely to Britain because at this point, the new world was open. The Venetians had been actually bringing gold and silver from the new world for a long time. They had already grabbed all the maps and stuff from uh, uh, Constantinople during the Fourth Crusade. They already knew about it. The Zenos and Henry St. Clair and the Orkney Islands, like there's actual 100 years before Columbus. It's clear the Venetians went over there. I think they went over even earlier than that. So that group, created the British Empire in the 1500s. They bankrolled it. That's how the British Empire comes out of nowhere and explodes to extreme power. And that's why everyone makes this mistake of thinking it's the British It's the British crown. They're June JV. They're JV in these ancient bloodlines. They're junior varsity. They're not that big of a deal. No, you're, you're, you're 100% right. We got two minutes left. Yep. Uh, I'll bring it back on in the new year. And this has been a great talk. Uh, close out any direction you like. Yeah, so just talk, whatever you like. Go ahead. There's a there's a quick just the, the smoking gun for me is there's a book by uh, Mark Peter Adams called The Game of Saturn, where they do a decode of the Sulabusca Tarochi. And basically, he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt in that book that as late as the late 1400s, early 1500s, a Venetian family brought forward this tarot deck, which is 100% a, a, a magical initiatory deck as an, as an actual ritual magic in order to attune people to Moloch. And it's it's like beyond a shadow of a doubt, like I, I can't go into all the details here, but that to me is the smoking gun because if they were still worshiping Moloch 2000 years after Tyre was destroyed, what they just stopped in the last 500 when the signs are all around us with pedophilia and all uh, the rest. No, no, you're absolutely right. I think we're going to carry this discussion to next year. Very okay. important. I'll do research in Tyre, mm -hmm. right? We'll, we'll, we'll bring it all the way up to the future. I will actually go get this book, The Game of Saturn, it's called. Yeah, it's a very dark text, and it, it you know right, I can handle it when you read it. I will, I will do it so we can have a conversation mid January. Or so, Ian, thank you very much. Uh, have a great holiday and happy New Year. Thank you for yep. coming on the show. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you.